regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. Hey, everyone, Jacques Hopkins here, and welcome to episode 91 of The Online Course Show. I'm coming at you today with another interview of a successful course creator. And today that is Randy Buckley of randybuckley.com, who has been creating courses for nine years and has created at least 45 courses. So she definitely knows what she's talking about. But before we get into that, I want to tell you about my program for helping beginners succeed with online courses. It's called the Online Course Accelerator. It's an online course, but there's also a Facebook community and you get to ask questions to me and get feedback from me anytime as you're going through the process. So this program is designed to take you from a complete beginner to actually making your first course sale within eight weeks. Now you get lifetime access to the program so you can always go back and review and you'll also get any updates I make to the program. So for example, I just released version two and everyone who had signed up for version one got access to the newest version. So this program will take you step-by-step step through the things you need to know and to do to be successful with online courses. And I'm so proud of this program that I'm offering a free seven-day trial because I want you to actually see it and know exactly what you're getting into before you commit and send me your hard-earned money. A lot of people have been signing up for the free trial lately since I've been mentioning it on the podcast, and I'm pleased to see that most people are sticking around after the trial. So if you're ready for some hand-holding as you try to make a successful course, check out the Online Course Accelerator at theonlinecourseguy.com. So like I mentioned, today's episode is focused on my conversation with Randy Buckley, who is a seasoned veteran with online courses. Today, she has courses that she presents live. She has courses that are pre-recorded and can be purchased anytime. But either way, you can tell she just has a real passion for this stuff. And anyone, anywhere on the online course journey is going to enjoy listening to this one. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into the full conversation with Randy right now. Hey, Randy, welcome to the Online Course Show. Thanks for having me, Jacques. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. So let's talk online courses today. Excellent. Uh, a friend of mine introduced me to your site, and it's very impressive. Tell us about your online course or courses that you have out. Sure. I actually realized in, in thinking about talking to you today, I've actually done about 45 courses. <laughs> so some have stuck more than others. Um, but the ones I do mostly now, one is called Healthy Boundaries for Kind People. And I also have Maybe Baby, which is for women who are ambivalent about motherhood, uh, but hear the whisper of maybe in their hearts. And then one called the Viking Woman Workshop. So when you say when you name those three, are those kind of your most popular, the ones you like the most out of the 45? Uh, yes. Some of those were for very small groups of people at different times. So they're not for public consumption. <laughs> Some of the other ones. So how did, how did you... I mean, this is kind of a... A big question here, but like, how did you get started? Like, when did you first say, ah, I need to make an online course? So I have been doing coaching now um, when we didn't call it coaching for about 30 years. And then uh, when we've called it coaching for about the last 15. But for the last 30 years, I've also been involved with the Concordia Language Villages, which we have 16 different languages where kids come uh, through a total immersion uh, program. 
And I learned experiential education right away at a pretty young age and learned not just how to teach foreign language, but global citizenship and really how to do a lot of reflection and who you want to be in the world. So I took the coaching skills and I married that with what I learned about experiential education uh, and I wanted to reach more people. So the the course seemed like a really good way to, because my clientele is all over the world, to um, have it be a portal if it were a life program, but then also for people who didn't want to work one-on-one with me, but wanted to do the work such as with maybe baby. So it provided, it has provided an excellent solution in that sense. So really a good transition as somebody that started out as, as doing coaching mm-hmm. and into just being able to Im- impact more people with the, with an online course. Yes, absolutely. So when was the, what time frame are we talking about when you maybe launched your first online course? Um, the first one was probably about nine years ago, eight or nine years ago. Mm-hmm. Did you know and that was with maybe baby? Okay, mm-hmm. and and from the obviously you knew what you were talking about from the content perspective, but did you know what you were doing at the time nine years ago as as far as how to create and market an online course? I had a pretty good idea, actually, not the marketing part. That was <laughs> that was uh, not fun at all. But in terms of the creation, I did. I um, so that was. I mean, there was certainly hit or miss, but I had a pretty good idea of what I needed to do to make the course, you know, the online course similar, different, not better or worse, but similar to interacting with me as if some people were working with me one-on-one. You know, when I, when I was getting started more like six or seven years ago, even just having like a password protected membership site threw me off back then. You know, how, how did you know how to just create the technical side of a course? The technical aspect was terrifying. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I, I uh, at the time was running off a WordPress site, and some um, I met somebody who knew how to install plugins that I didn't, which made it a functioning course. So we had a little bit of a community. It was much more like a message board and almost list serve esque at the time. But so I had to hire that out after probably trying to do it for weeks and weeks and crying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the coaching part was where my genius was. It wasn't in the technical aspects by any means. Okay, okay, that that makes more sense, right? Because <laughs> um, not a lot, a lot of times, not not a lot of times when somebody's just starting out with the course, do they really understand the course creation process? Right. Obviously, they know what their what their topic is. You know, I knew how to teach somebody piano, but all the other stuff I had to go learn. It sounds like right. it's similar for you, but that was nine years ago. So you're probably the course creation expert at this point. I don't know about expert. I mean, I, I have understood the pedagogy of learning and in, in all the aspects one needs to have to create meaning to content, uh, which is also very important. But um, I have come a long way. <laughs> but thank goodness for people who understand technology. So where, where do you host your courses today? Um, right now, I'm on Bazooku. I've used uh, several different formats including Teachable. And I do some on Rizuku and some on Teachable, actually, I should say. I'm in two places right now. Spell that for me. R- R-U-Z-U-K-U. And is that a, like a WordPress plugin or is that its own platform? It's its own platform. Okay. So what, what's drawn you to Rizuku? I kind of got in on the ground floor when they first started, when they were really just getting up and running. And I have found their customer service to be excellent. Anytime I needed something, they uh, would almost go and create it. So they've been very responsive okay. in, in that sense. And that's been really helpful when you're navigating this. So I'm curious your take on running a successful online course. And, and let, me, let me add to that in that 
I go to your page on, let's say, Healthy Boundaries for Kind People, one of your courses, right? Right. It says next, next cohort begins September 2019, right? Right. And I've certainly heard of launches. Some people are doing evergreen launches, mm-hmm. but September 2019 is a long, a pretty good ways away before it actually starts. Right. What's your thoughts behind waiting so long to, to actually allow people to, I, I'm assuming, even buy your course? Right. So that, uh, that particular course I run live. Um, and do a lot of open office hours so people can come and ask questions and do a lot of coaching. Some of the other courses, like maybe Baby or Viking Woman, are more evergreen. People can do them on their own. But I, for that particular course, it felt like, at least in my evolution of it with myself, I've wanted to run that live. So I have a wait list. Right now, we're in session. So that's why I'm not opening it up. And when that closes, then I'll open up um, registration for the for the next round. Okay, gotcha. So that's kind of your one that you do live. And when you're doing it live, mm-hmm. uh, what's the technical pieces you use there? Facebook Live, Zoom? I use Zoom. Uh, Zoom gets used daily in my work. I use Zoom. And then I use Facebook groups. Um, I've used Mighty Network sometimes and also Facebook groups. Okay. So how are people finding you? What, what kind of marketing are you doing to get people into your courses? It's mostly word of mouth, actually, at this point. Podcasts have been um, really, really helpful. The ones that I've done, I'm starting one that's debuting next month. But mostly it's been word of mouth. And that's something I'm actually pretty proud of. I have done initially, I started off doing webinars, trying to get people interested and kind of get a taste of what the content was. And that's been great. But uh, word of mouth has been the primary venue or vehicle, I should say. I think a lot of people would be jealous of that. Uh huh. <laughs> You know, people are always trying to find the right strategies for Facebook ads or get on the right advertising platform or SEO or YouTube or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're telling me your number one traffic source is word of mouth. What, what do you think the secret behind that is? My courses are really personal and can have a lot of vulnerability. When we're talking about really things that are close to the heart. And so I think there's a level of trust that needs to happen in that particular content for people to go there. And so, you know, if I were teaching French or Norwegian or something along that line, I think it would require less trust, but I go really deep with the people in the course. And so that word of mouth has been really, really helpful. I have done Facebook ads. I find they don't work for the courses where we're doing really deep work, but rather much more of a technical course has been, that's been fine for that. But yeah. I've been very fortunate that people have gotten a lot out of it and they wanted to tell their friends about it too. Well, that's uh, more power to you on that. That's uh, that's amazing. <laughs> so next question for you here is, sure. I notice everything that you have on your, I mean, your, your, your site, all your courses and everything are hosted at randybuckley.com, right? Mm-hmm. So what is the thought process on using your name versus uh, a brand or something else? You know, I played around with that for a long time. And ultimately, I am the common thread in all that I do. And the perspective I hold and the way I look at things. And so it made a lot of sense just to, for me, you know, I'm, I'm a big part of what people are coming for, that perspective and the way I view things and how I'm going to take them through the course. So it made sense to just use my name. And your site itself is very impressive. I think I told you that at the beginning. What, uh, did, you, did you design this yourself? Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, this is about the fifth iteration of websites. The first couple I did by myself. Um, and then actually a group of coaches came together and said, we want to basically all chip in so you can have a better site. And that was my first real professional site, which was an amazing thing to have happen. And since then, I've um, now worked with a designer, Allie Wright of Dapper Fox 
design and she is a designer and um, built the site on Squarespace. Okay. Very cool. I know people are always looking for resources for that type of thing. Yes. Because you know we're, we're all experts in our own kind of niche and that's usually not also web designer. No. <laughs> right. So you mentioned kind of these uh, people you outsource to. Do you have like a team of people that work with you on this stuff or is it mostly just you? It's becoming more of an ad hoc team. So they're not on payroll, so to speak, but when I need things, I can... They're a little bit on retainer, so more verbal retainer than anything that I can go to them and say, okay, are you able to do this? And that's been great. That's actually been the way I've been able to move forward and get much done. Otherwise, it was me and you know, me spending 15 hours wanting to cry and throw things. Somebody else can do it in four minutes is money well spent. <laughs> so, you, so you mentioned the, the web design stuff. Can you give us some examples of other things you might outsource ad hoc here and there? Sure. I'm starting a podcast. I have hired a producer after finding out that that was not my, another one of my non-strengths. And that's been really helpful, just knowing I have somebody there who can help get it up and running. So the producer for the podcast is going to do the editing and uploading and et cetera, et cetera. The graphic design, I outsource some of my... Uh, I have a virtual assistant who helps me with more of the admin things. That's been... Uh, it's new done that every every now and then here and there people have helped me out but it's going to be more regular yeah so let's take this uh podcast producer that i guess that that's about to start up how did you find that person that was through a referral through a friend i um put it out there to some friends who have uh very successful podcasts said help <laughs> and they were kind enough to give me uh, the name of somebody who they feel works magic for them and um we're getting up and running so that's it's a real relief very cool. Yeah. So let's look back to about nine years ago when you lost, when you launched your first course. Knowing everything uh-huh. you know today, right? What would you have done different that back then with with that first course and and kind of the direction of all your courses? I would have gotten help much sooner. And at the time, I didn't think I could because I didn't think I could afford it. So it was very much a bootstrapping, do it yourself type of thing. What I didn't realize, and it was the huge leap, was it was actually costing me more to do it myself then gets you know 15 hours of crying versus somebody taking four minutes to plug in the right thing I wasn't able to see, for example. So it was very cost-effective to get the support where I needed it and know I could do the other parts uh, that I could handle or that I wanted a different level of control over. Well, let's talk about that a little bit more because sure. I think it's it's easy or it's hard for people to to kind of let go of that control. And then once people do actually get help start outsourcing, get help um, and team members, mm-hmm. it can be ad- addictive. And you, and you, it's one of those things you don't really see the advantages of it until you actually do it. Right. So, oh my gosh. Looking back. Yeah. <laughs> looking back to back then, how could you have convinced yourself to get help back then? I thought you had to have a certain income level to be able to even afford it. And I think, you know, if I could go back and tell myself, something is it's not that expensive just to have somebody do some basic things for you to cover your butt, so to speak. That was huge because I was really blocked by thinking I had to have started to make a lot of money before I could afford to get any support at all. And it actually did not cost that much compared to what the story I had told myself in my head of what it needed to be. So that would have... And then the other thing is, you know, some, some people are People, everybody has a genius and let those people dip into their genius and do it. And you focus on the part that you really get at. Yeah, I know. I think, I think there can be some ego involved too. I know for me, yeah. like I just really wanted to spend money on my business 
the money that I spend be the money that I make as well. Exactly. So like I didn't I didn't want to spend money that I hadn't made yet, even though I, I had like personal money, savings, whatever I could have spent on it. And and like and to your point, I thought I thought it was probably more expensive to get help than it actually is. You know, fast forward to today, I've got people that are doing different things for me all over the world in all kinds of different economies. A wage in in one country is completely different than a wage in another country. Right. And um, I didn't know to take advantage of those things back then either. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it, we have we make up these stories of what things have to be, what they. Um, what we're capable of or can do. But I think your point to having ego in there, some of us are really proud of being DIYers to the point where it becomes uh, a real issue getting in our own way. Yeah. But, but like you said earlier, I mean, at the end of the day, you can do more and you can impact more people. You know, once you can kind of exponentially, like almost exponentially expand yourself, if you're only focused on the things that you really need to be doing and everything else you can outsource, then you can impact more people, plain and simple. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what other advice would you have? You know, there's a lot of people listening to this podcast that are, are much more in the beginner stages. Sure. Either they just got their, their idea or they've, they've started down the path of online courses, but they're just struggling to market themselves and make sales. So other than, you know, outsource, what, what other advice do you have for those people? Make your course good. And that sounds really obvious, but I think I, I actually taught course creation for a while because I saw so many courses that had potential and just were not living up to that potential. And it was easy to make a couple of tweaks in making them better. And one of those big things was to build in reflection into the course. So people actually understand what they're learning. They're taking a moment to acknowledge how far they've come. And because people can feel like I'm not learning anything. But when you have moments of reflection or reflective learning in there, even if it's just a couple of questions for people to ask themselves, it makes a big difference and helps them create meaning to the content that they might not have otherwise. And we know that when you have a greater sense of meaning to what you're learning, first of all, you're much more interested in it, but you're much more likely to bounce back and be resilient if you fall behind, which is a huge mindset issue where attrition it shoots up when people as soon as people think they, they're behind they tend to not do the course as much so i would say be really thoughtful and build in just a little bit of reflective learning into the course so people are aware of what exactly they are learning and also they can take pride in that yeah i mean you, you say make your course good mm-hmm. a lot of times people will spend significantly more time mar- trying to market their course than they do on actually creating their the course. Yes. Uh, so I think that's, I think that's good advice. Um, uh-huh. And especially if you have like refund policies, then, then when somebody actually gets in the course, then, then they'll, if it's not good, then they'll ask for their money back. I mean, what other, what other tips do you have to make a course good and to get less refund requests and get as many happy customers as possible? Okay. Well, the first thing that I'll say is actually, I don't do refunds. Uh, for my courses, which I'm, I'm happy to speak to. I did for a while and I changed that. But in terms of make it good, you know, maybe run a beta test group, get feedback from people on, you know, what makes, what is helpful about this course? What is making it, you know, pull you into the content? What is really interesting of wanting to engage with it and find out what those things are. So it's not just another worksheet, content worksheet, but Again, build in that reflective learning so people have a real sense of what they are learning and understanding why that's important to them. That in and of itself, and I think I think you are exactly you know, exponentially correct that there's far more going into the marketing and getting getting your course out there than it is of quality. 
of the course. And that's why I have word of mouth. That's why, you know, people send their loved ones to do what is often really deep work because it is very substantial. And um, that's something I'm really proud of, actually. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I mean, they're both extremely important because on the other side of things, you could have the world's greatest course, but if if nobody ever sees it or finds out about it or signs up, it just doesn't matter. Exactly. So obviously both are, are important, mm-hmm. but I, I certainly am not just going to skip over the no refunds thing either. So <laughs> I'd, love to hear, I'd love to hear your thoughts there and why you used to offer refunds and now you don't. Right. So initially I offered refunds because that was generally... Everybody does it, right? Right. And so... You know, my, a lot of my work is around boundaries and I was realizing I was showing up differently than I wanted to thinking there could be a refund that I was feeling like I was maybe catering a little bit too much to what people wanted as opposed to what people need. And that was a big difference for me. I also had people who initially with the refund period who had never opened the course because, you know, as a course creator, you can see, depending on the platform you're using, you can see the level of engagement and people who had never opened it say, Oh, it didn't work for me. I want a refund. And so for me to be my best at it, having the no refund policy allowed me to show up in a different way or allowed me to put out the course in a different way. Just like you might buy a ticket to a concert. You know, at the end at the concert, if somebody's like, no, you know, that didn't really do, do it for me. The musician still has, you know, X amount of years experience. They still had to put on a production. All of these things still they still showed up and did the work. And so I find when I have no refund policies, people are more likely to show up and do it because there's not an out. So it doesn't necessarily get more people in. It's just that the people that get in, you're saying are more likely to actually go through the material. I actually found it didn't alter the numbers at all. Really? Of people saying, well, mm-hmm. well I, I, yeah, Which I was scared hard. of. Yeah, it's hard to directly test that, but I just feel like that's... I use that as kind of a last resort for people. And it's like... If at the end of the day, all of this marketing didn't work for you, then just try it. You can try it. There's no risk. You can sign up. If it's not for you, you can get your money back. And I have done things where I'll do... um, Like with the live courses or even the other ones, the Evergreen, I'll give them the first week that they can just try it. And so there's no exchange of money. And I find a lot of people then do buy at that point. So there are different different ways, you know. And I really didn't want to deal with the money part <laughs> at the end of it either. That was something I just really didn't want to have to deal with. So it's worked out for me, and I think it's also going to be unique to everybody what the right way of doing it is. And it's finding what works for you, what has you feel comfortable. If you're really concerned, you know, if you really feel confident of getting people in the door, and you want to lower that barrier of entry, maybe the maybe having a refund policy is great then. Yeah, I you know, it hasn't been a huge problem for me and my business um to date. I will tell you, I'll, let me give you an example that happened within the past week and I'm curious how you would have handled it. Okay. So I had somebody and I have a 30-day refund policy. So, so okay. that's not this 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 case wasn't a problem for me, but I had a woman who emailed me within a few hours of signing up for my piano course. Right. It's $500. It's not cheap, right? Right. She emailed me, she was so she was so desperate because she had bought the course without talking to her husband. Mm-hmm. And so she then talked to her husband. He was all upset with her sure. and, and was like, you have to get your money back. This is not okay. I mean, it was, it was this long email and she was just begging me for a refund because her husband didn't approve. You don't even have a refund policy. What would you do if you got that email? I totally would have refunded her. You know, my, my rule of thumb is if I were in their position, what would I want somebody to do for me? 
And so while I don't advertise that I don't have this, I, I don't advertise in a refund policy, life happens. And I'm not going to be, you know, such a stickler to where I'm sticking to somebody just because they, you know, got you now. Um, sometimes I've seen, I've seen some course creators actually get punitive. No, you did this. And now I'm slapping you with all these fees or, or just really make their, I've totally said, you know what? I really hope this makes your dinner better tonight. <laughs> Maybe it will work out in the future, but you know. Well, that's good to hear that you're not just so rigid with that. Oh, and gosh, there is no. some flex, flexibility there as well. Yeah. So that's, I'm glad to get that feed from, back from you yes. on that uh, particular topic. Uh, so Randy, this has been great. A lot of great nuggets here for, for the people listening. So um, look to wrap things up. Just let us know if there's anything else you want to share and, and where people can find you online. You can find me at Randy, R-A-N-D-I, Buckley.com. And um, I think there's something really cool and a little bit magical about when you create your own course. And I continue, I, I encourage people to just go for it. You might have to test out what works for you and find, you know, all the advice I think out there is a little bit like a smorgasbord. Take, take what works, play around with it, and then see what sticks. That's a pretty cool thing. Thanks, Randy. Thank you. All right. Thank you out there for listening to another episode of the online course show. And thanks again to Randy for joining me on the podcast today. Remember to check out the online course accelerator and that free seven day trial. If you are interested in all in creating and being successful with your own online course, and you can find all the detailed show notes and links from today's episode by going to the online course guy.com slash 91. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.